Welcome to Reteach, a place where professors know that student equity gaps can be closed and are willing to put in the work to figure it out. We are dedicated to our teaching and our students. We are passionate about improving our classrooms and our communities. We can make a difference. We will make a difference. I am your host, Bruce Hoskins, and my mind and heart are ready to learn. So what's up, everyone? So, hey, it's been a minute since I talked to you, um, but you know what? I needed a break, and I'm sure you needed a break, and uh, I hope you enjoyed your break. But let's get back at this, right? Because, um, you know, we this is what we do. We teach, and we do our thing, and, um, you know, and I really enjoy uh, doing this podcast and everything. And so, um, it, it, I, honestly, it was actually really hard for me to take that break, but I forced myself to shut down for like two weeks out of the four weeks or so that we had off. Uh, it was needed. It was worth it. But, you know, I'm ready to get back into the saddle. And so let's go ahead and do this. And um, and so in talking about this, I actually want to talk about first day, right? My first day of class, uh, which is kind of funny because uh, if you listen to the, the last episode of, of the fall season, it was cumulative finals. And I said I was going to come back in the second week of class. But actually, it's still my first week of class. And so all this first day of class stuff is really fresh in my head still. Um, but the reason why I came back a week early is because I on on the podcast, I actually said the date and I said the wrong date. <laughs> I said January 23rd. And so when this comes out, it'll be January 23rd. Um, and so I was like, man, let me just come back on January 23rd just so I'll be because I'm a man of my word. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm like, I'm coming back and doing me um, and whatnot. And so um, but like I said, this first day of class. Uh, the first day of class is fresh in my head because I just got finished doing my statistics class and my research methods class. That's on Tuesday, Thursdays for me. Um, and then uh, and then I did my introduction to sociology class on Wednesday. And so all of this is like really fresh in my head. And I want to talk to you about what is it that we need to try to accomplish on the first day of school. Right. On the first day of class. And look, I already know what a lot of us do. Um, because I used to do the same thing. And that was I would come in, I would take attendance and, you know, see who's going to get dropped and all of this stuff. And then I would just go over my syllabus. Right. And and, and look, you might want to do that. You might continue to want to do that after this episode. But I'm hoping that I can get you to think about that and what we can do differently to engage our students from all these equity groups and stuff like that. And just our students just in general, but to really try to get down into like what what kind of messages do we need to try to send on the first day of class in order to try to close these equity gaps, right? Because that is who we are, that's what we try to do. So there's four things that I would argue that need to be that need to happen on the first day of class. There's four things that need to happen. Um uh, besides all the miscellaneous silly stuff that we got to do <laughs> because that's what because that's what we got to do like roll call and adding and dropping and stuff like that well i'm not talking about that right and so here's the the four things that i that i say and then i'll give you examples of what i'm talking about and so first and foremost is that you the students got to know what the class is about uh second of all students need to know who you are right and i would argue that doesn't just mean know your credentials but I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. Three, students need to know that you are passionate about what you do, right? And then number four is that they need to know that you care about their success, 
So the first thing that I'm trying to accomplish in the class is to try to let the students know what the class is about. But most of us, when we talk about what the class is about, we normally start going to our syllabus and stuff like that. And that's not what I mean, right? I, don't, I really I don't know. That's not what I mean when I say let the students know what the class is about. I really want them to know what the class is about. And what I want them to understand um, in that space is to really talk to them about how even though they don't know what sociology is, really, that they actually do a lot of social analysis in their everyday lives. And and what they don't realize is that there's a discipline out there that literally will talk about and think about some of the things that they do in their average everyday lives and whatnot. And so that's so when I'm go in, so I don't even I barely tell them what my name is when I first start is like I just really try to talk to them about what social like what do we do as a sociologist or a sociological understanding about something. And so what I do then is that I start breaking something down sociologically and look and I do this by. And this is going to be the first time y'all hear me because it's like I do this by talking shit about something like straight up. I talk shit about movies or TV series or songs or whatever. Um, and uh, on day number one, I try to go with something very popular um, and whatnot so that people have uh, something to connect to. Uh, while, you know, later on in the semester, I still talk shit. I play, I talk plenty of shit all through the semester. As a matter of fact, I feel like I get paid to talk shit. Um, but as I'm doing, as I'm talking shit, I show them, I tell them like the sociological points that I'm also making in the space. Um, but after I talk shit. And so, um, and so one of my best examples of this is talking about how Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel are like co-stars in their own movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, like for real, if you've watched both of those movies and look, you're going to have to understand and embrace the fact that I am a comic book nerd um, and whatnot. So you just gonna have to deal with that right now. And this is not your thing. This is not your thing. But I'm going to tell you, if 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 you don't do something like this, then, you know, if you're talking about something like super popular, then maybe this is not going to work for you. I'm just going to tell you that right now. But anyway, and so with Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel, like, so these are two female superheroes, but they're co-stars in their own movies. And then I wind up starting to like juxtapose like, you know, Batman It's like, well, who's Batman's like, you know, significant other, if you would. Nope. Don't need one because for whatever reason, we don't do that with uh, male, with, with male superheroes. We just don't do that. Now, of course there are romantic interests and stuff like that. And let's say Iron Man and whatever, but Thor is Thor and ain't nobody really sharing the screen with Thor uh, and whatnot. It's Thor's movie. It's clear that it is Thor's movie. It is clear that it's Captain America's movie. It is clear that it's Iron Man's movie. It is clear that it's Batman's movie. When you look at Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel, you can't help but think, but it's like, man, you know, in Wonder Woman, that Steve dude is actually really important. As a matter of fact, I would argue that in Wonder Woman, like the most, the, the, clim- the climax of that movie was actually when Steve, that pilot dude, he died. Um, and whatnot. That was the climax of the movie. Out, I, I mean, Wonder Woman fighting the Ares or whatever. That wasn't even. It was like to me that was anticlimactic. Um, and whatnot because that was clearly the climax of the movie was when that one was when Steve died. With Captain Marvel, uh, much the same thing, right? It's like Samuel L. Jackson. Although let me let me make this clear. I love me some Samuel L. Jackson. Let's just make that clear. But Samuel L. Jackson's story was just as important, if you would, in that movie as. Captain Marvel story. And so I don't get that. I don't get how we can keep missing that mark. And then it makes me wonder, and this is, you know, bringing it into the, into the current, this makes me wonder about what the Black Widow movie is going to look like. And I'm hoping that they, that they can get this thing right. I'm hoping that she's actually the star of her own movie and 
She's going to work this thing out. I mean, it's Scarlett Johansson. So we, we I, I think we, I think we got some, some good money on this one, but yo, I'm still, but for real, I, I am like wondering like what's going to happen with this movie and why we have a hard time getting this thing right. Uh, when it comes to female leads or female superheroes, right. And for me, look, I talk about race on day one. And so then if I'm going into this space, it's like I, I can also talk about Miles Morales, Spider-Man. Um, you know, it's like for the people who pay any attention to that, it's like Miles Morales, Spider-Man. Look, you can one. Peter Parker is a co-star in Miles Morales movie and, you know, he's some mentor and stuff like that. And I, I kind of get that, you know, I get the, I get the Mr. Miyagi, Daniel San thing. I get, I get that. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, and yet at the same time, the thing that I was extremely disappointed in, and I was, I tell students, this is like, the thing I was really disappointed in was that Miles Morales' Spider-Man is significantly less intelligent than Peter Parker's Spider-Man. And, um, and y'all, you know, people can be as upset with me as, as they want, but Miles Morales ain't inventing no stuff. He actually got all of his stuff from Aunt May uh, and whatnot. It was like he, he literally didn't create anything. And which is the other interesting, though, thing. And I really this I, this to me is racial. Right. It's like the black people and intelligence thing is definitely racialized. I would even argue racist in, in this particular space. But, you know, it's like but it's supposed to be compensated by the fact that Miles Morales Spider-Man is actually the most powerful Spider-Man. Right. He is physically the most powerful Spider-Man. Right. He has that bioelectric shock thing and then he can turn invisible. Like he is super strong and whatnot, which makes me wonder. And I'm doing this with the students here, by the way. Right. It's like I'm literally doing this with the students right in front of them and going like and it makes me wonder about, you know, how we think about black athletes, about black male bodies in the United States. It makes me think about, um, you know, things about Black Lives Matter and that black male bodies are seen as more threatening. Black bodies in general are seen as more threatening, but that black male bodies are even that much more so um, and whatnot. And so and so I'm doing this all on the first day of class before I really even tell them anything about me as a person and whatnot and just go like, look, if you noticed any of those things or if any of that is interesting to you, then guess what? You've been doing some sociological analysis. And so welcome to my class. Right. That's how I start my class um, and whatnot. And don't even get me started on like Avengers Affinity War and stuff like that. I man, I, I got I got mad issues with that. But, um, you know, like I said, I, I jump in and talk to them about sociological analysis in a way that um, really lets them know. It's like, look, this is actually something that you probably kind of do already. It's just. I'm doing it in, 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 in the context of academia, if you would, which I mean, it is what it is. Right. But it's like bridging that gap of saying like things that we do in the everyday are actually bridge over into academia and that this is not some high hollowed hill and stuff like that. You need to really break stuff like that down um, and be comfortable in talking about those things and be comfortable with those spaces, because I'm going to tell you straight up, if you're not comfortable with talking about race, people of color know when you're not comfortable with talking about race. If you're not talk- comfortable with talking about sex, gender and sexuality, people who are in those spaces are going to know that you're not comfortable talking about that stuff. And so, look, I'm just going to tell you straight up, that's going to help uh, student equity all across the board. If you get if you can get comfortable talking about stuff like that. Um, then it'll let students know. It's like, look, if there's anybody I'm going to talk to about this, it's going to be this person. 
And so anyway, the, so the second thing that students need to know is they need to know who you are. And so this is when, so after all of this stuff, now I give them my introduction. I'm like, okay, so I'm Dr. Bruce Hoskins and whatever. But here's the deal is that I never, so, and you, people can be comfortable with this or not, people, whatever, right? I'm just giving you some ideas. I don't ever tell folks, uh, tell students to, to, to call me. I don't ever force students to call me Dr. Bruce Hoskins. I never, they don't have to, I don't force them to call me Dr. Hoskins. Um, as a matter of fact, I tell him, it's like, look, I know my name. And so it's like, my name is Bruce. You can call me Bruce. Uh, you can call me Dr. Hoskins. You can call me Dr. Bruce. You can call me Doc. You can call me Hoskins. I, it's like all of those things don't, don't bother me. And I know that that's really weird for some folks because, um, we're used to having this separation between in, in power between professors and students and whatnot. But I, I don't, that's, that's not what I do. Um, and, and when I, and when I say this, when I tell them I'm Dr. Bruce Hoskins and that I have my PhD from USC, um, and whatnot, and, and, you know, and, and, uh, regardless of what you think about the institution that normally gets some oohs and ahs because, um, it's USC, right? It's like, it's a prominent space, but the most important thing, but I, and I tell them this, the most important thing for you to know is that I actually started as a community college student. I started at the place that I'm teaching at. I started at Miracosta. And so if you don't think, you know, you, you, because I did it, you got to know that you could do it too, it, to, to, to whatever degree um, and whatnot. So you, you don't have to work hard at it, um, but it's possible, right? Because, you know, I, I did it. I'm an example of that, right? And talking about being a community college student is, I'm going to just use the word is very refreshing to the students. It's like I know that most community college teachers or that a lot of community college teachers actually did go to community college. But we really got to make sure that we continue to tell students that um, if you if you did go to community college and you're teaching at a community college, you need to tell students. Honestly, I think that you should tell students that um, if you're at a four year college also, because people have such a low opinion, generally speaking, that people have a, a low opinion about community college just in general. Right. Um, and, and whatnot, the stigma of going to a community college and people thinking that for whatever reason, community college is less than is something that needs to be said. If, if you are a community college student, if you're a product of community college and you need to be loud and proud about that when you are teaching the community college spaces um, and whatnot, because that that's that's a barrier that definitely needs to be uh, crossed. Um, and broken down and everything like that. And so um, I make sure that I tell them I'm a community college student. I make sure I tell them I change majors a lot. It's like for crying out loud, when I first started off at Miracosta, um, I was a business administration major. And I'll tell that story later on in, a, in another podcast about like why I was a business administration major. But it's like it took me a year and a half to figure out I didn't like business administration. And then I wound up changing my major to math, believe it or not, because I wanted to be a high school teacher. And so when I transferred, I saw I had my AA in mathematics. But when I transferred to UCSD, I took an ethnic studies class and I fell head over heels in love with it, um, even though I'm a slow reader. I'm still a slow reader to this day. And at the time, I was a really bad writer. And I tell them that because... They need to know that. It's like, look, I'm not, I haven't always been Dr. Bruce Hoskins. I, there's been this journey that I've taken, and it's taken me a long time. Quite honestly, like, look, under the current rules of community colleges, they would have kicked me out a long time ago. It's like by the time I transferred, I had 105 transferable units. But the best thing that ever happened to me was for me to stay here for four years because that's how long it took me to do it. Um, to stay here for four years because in my first year, I really didn't do a whole bunch of anything. In my second year, 
Um, I actually got involved. I became the the president of of the Black Student Union um, and everything. But then my last two years, because I had just changed my major and everything, um, I was able to uh, to be to run for uh, for associate student government president, and I was student body president, student trustee for two years. And so, because of all of those things, because I changed majors and took longer and everything, I actually had the best time of my life and built myself up. Uh, you know, built myself up while I was here, and so that's the reason. That's at least part of the reason why I really regard like Maricosta and the community in Oceanside as my home. Um, and, and whatnot. And so students, they want to know that they want to know that you're a human. They want to know that, you know, th- that you can uh, make mistakes, which aren't really mistakes, but they, you know, like people will, people talk about changing majors, like it's a mistake. They need to know that the journey is valuable. They need to know that the journey ends <laughs> also, and that you do find a major and, and stuff like that. They need to know stuff like that. And I'm going to tell you what, I haven't shared this with you, uh, yet, but um, I share this with my students all the time, and I'm not going to go into the story about it. But um, I didn't come from high school straight to Maricosta. I actually went into the Navy uh, first, and I was in the Navy for a year and a half. And no, the Navy does not have year and a half enlistments. Yes, you are talking to the person, you are listening to a person that got kicked out of the Navy. Now, there's a whole big old story around that. You know, maybe I, I might tell that story in a different space on a different episode or whatever. But um, just understand that uh, a lot of racist stuff happened to me um, and whatnot. The military in general, fine, right? It's like I, I love the vets. I love the people, the students that come into the space and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, the mil- the Navy and I, we did not get along at all. Um, and you know, and so let, let that be what it is. But the fact that I tell them that, and you know, it's, it, it may be intriguing to them or whatever, but it's like, and I'm not trying to do that to, to pump myself up. I'm really just telling them, it's like, look, there, there's mistakes that people make. Right. And there's, 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 there's people who made mistakes and landed in prison. Um, and then they come back and then they find out it's like, well, they're taking a class from a dude who got kicked out of the military and he has his Ph.D. now. And so it's like, look, you can recover from mistakes. And that's that's to me the motive, you know, the motive uh, besides just me just letting them know like what I'm thinking of and, and how I, you know, uh, operate in the space and whatnot. It's just good to let students know that you are a real person. And so third, students need to know that you are passionate about what you do. They need to know that you are passionate about what you do. And I'm going to tell you, if you are passionate about what you do, your students can forgive a lot. They can forgive, you know, not being as organized as you would, uh, as you could be. Um, like I said, th- that that passion draws them in. It, it draws them in. And this is something that I can continue to find that is uh, lacking in a lot of people's um, you know, their opening day and their day to day, you know, their day to day activities and teaching and stuff like that is just this passion um, and whatnot that you are passionate about what you're doing. Um, and so for me, the thing that I do is I actually do a spoken word poem and I already showed a po- shared a poem with you on another episode. And so um, but the poem that I talked to them about is a poem called Excellence. And um, if you care to, you can look at it on YouTube and, and, and whatnot. But um, it's about a student who uh, a Mexican-American student who is a a dreamer, right? And she met me at a poetry, uh, at a poetry reading and uh, she took my class, but she wound up failing. But her and I, we actually developed a really strong mentor, mentoring relationship. And, um, and I was able to, to 
to mentor her. And uh, she she actually wound up majoring in sociology and getting her B.A. in sociology, even though she failed my introduction to sociology class the first time around. And that is the poem that I share with them. And I make it really clear to the students that this student, it wasn't this student's fault that they didn't pass my class. It was more about me and the design of my class. And I can argue that that's actually the case because she took me for both statistics and she took me for introduction to sociology and she passed my statistics class with a B. So I'm like, I'm being dead serious here. It's like, to me, I felt like that I had failed her in some way. And it took me quite some time to actually figure out how to teach an introduction to sociology class that I really believed that excellence would drive in, right? And lastly, you need to show the students that you care about their success. You need to show the students that you care about their success, not your success or your ease or your whatever. You need to show the students that you care about their success. And for me, it was like, look, uh, clearly I do this in other ways and and, and whatnot. But to me, the main thing that when I do this, when I talk about this, when I talk about that the textbook that I created and poured my own blood, sweat and tears into that I created this and I am giving it to them for free. The students know whether they agree with me or not, whether they like like what I'm saying or not, whether they like the class or not, what they do know, they do know is that I care about their success. Because I literally, right, it's like, look, me giving this textbook away for free lets them know everything that they need to know about me. Because I could charge, right, I could charge money for the textbook. And so it's like literally... I'm leaving money on the table in order to to make sure that students are going to succeed, have the best chance of succeeding in my class, that there are no barriers to their success. Right. I don't want to put people on the spot who are creating their own materials and selling it. And yet at the same time, I really want you to, to think about, do you really need to do that? Do you really need to make money off of our students? Now, let me make this clear. It's like, look, I'll make money off of institutions. I'll make money off of guest lecturing or, you know, public speaking or whatever. I'll make money on in those spaces all day. I don't I don't have any problem with, with taking institutional money and stuff like that. But I, I refuse to take a dime from my students when I know that textbook cost is one of the main things that they have to deal with on a semester to semester basis. I mean, matter of fact, I mean, think about it uh, for a lot of people, for a lot of these students, their textbook costs are actually higher than to tuition. Right. That's that should be absolutely insane to us. But it's a reality that, that community college students face every day, every semester at the beginning of it. They face that every day. And I saw and I told them, it's like, look, I created this textbook. I'm giving it to you for free. It's in a public space um, and whatnot. So you can just access this whenever you want um, and whatnot. And I love y'all. And when I say that, I know it's kind of corny. Some people, they don't like being like that about it. But I'm going to tell you, when I say that, they know that I mean it, at least monetarily. <laughs> they know that I mean it. And I'm saying, right, is that this is the thing that we need to come back to, that we need to constantly come back to and ask ourselves, even on a first day of class, what are we doing? What's the setup? How is this going in order for us to try to close these equity gaps, right? But anyway, that's all I got for this episode. Hope you learned something. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Reteach. If you want to learn more about me or my open source introduction to sociology textbook, please go to brucehoskins.com. In closing, I want to leave us all with a question. 
If you learned something today that you think would help close your student equity gaps, how long will it take to incorporate this into your classroom? A year? A semester? Next month? Today? No matter the timetable, we must commit ourselves to becoming better teachers. Our students deserve it. All of them. Not just the ones that are good already.